This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Go to the two passages of Scripture, and we're gonna we're not gonna go to Psalm 62 today, but I want you to go to Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter one. I am going to, we're going to continue, continue what we've been teaching on understanding authority in the local church or in the body of Christ and understanding how to stay under authority. Not just understanding authority, but understanding how to stay under authority. And we've also been dealing with not just the, my part is going to be what has been throughout these last three weeks and we will conclude tonight with my portion has been different types of violations, different types of authority violations in the body of Christ. And even though I may mention that we're not going to address specifically the different types of authority violations that we're so used to dealing with, you know, and I may mention to a, mention a few of them, like our church attendance, how we come to church, when we come to church, you know, uh, what keeps us from coming to church, you know, those different things and... and uh, like our preparation, are we prepared when we have to serve? You know, uh, our timeliness. It could be different things, aspects of the ministry. It could be, you know, not wanting to be part of new members perfecting class when we know we have to go through, or AMC. You know, the things that we fight against. And, and, and the thing is, the reason I really didn't want to address those, because we've heard it, we know the standards. Like, for example, no one, I guarantee you, that if you talk to people in your, the auxiliary that you're part of, the part of ministry that you're on, you know the standard of that ministry. We talk about it constantly in our ministry. We, it's, that's one thing about our ministry is that even when you hear our, our AMC classes, it's just constantly told, just, this is the standard, this is the standard, our ethics, our integrity, and we know it. So the thing about it, I think it's we really don't understand, and, and, and this is for all of us, sometimes we come to the point where we really don't understand where we've come to. Does that make sense? Where, where we're at. And I'm not talking about a physical location. I'm still talking about God has brought us near Him. Every, time we, every person we're going to talk about tonight was brought near to the Lord, was in the presence of the Lord, just as you have been brought near to the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord. And there was different attitudes that came forth from these people. And those are the attitudes that I wanted to deal with. So I'm going to go to, uh, as you're in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 1. And I'll start from there and then we'll go to Matthew 28. In Hebrews chapter 1, and I'll read it. You don't have to go there. But in Hebrews chapter 1, and many of us can quote it. But I really want to read it to you, so I won't misquote it. But in Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, his authority, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. And I made these statements, and the beginning of these, my notes, I'm really not going to follow the beginning, it's towards the end that I'm actually going to be, I'm going to try to stick with. But we began the teaching, and I wanted to read the, the actual objectives that I have before I go to Matthew 28. 
my objection first the goal of the teaching the goal of the teaching was simple it is to bring us to a deeper reverence and passion for the things of God a, di- a different a, to bring us to a deeper not a different a deeper because we have a reverence there's certain reverence things that we reverence in our lives there's certain things that we have a passion for and you see and it's so interesting that even in people in the Christian walk it's interesting how you can see your passion and, and to tell you the truth Everybody should be passionate about Jesus Christ. Everybody. There's not a different type of passion. You may have a different way of expressing it, but you should be passionate about Jesus Christ. Your passion may not be the way somebody else worships, but there's something about you that brings out, there's something about Jesus Christ that brings out passion in you. And, and see, there, there's a problem when that passion is missing. There's a, so my thing is, I believe because you're, because you have accepted Christ that that's there it's in you a lot of times it would be like me and I, like, I don't want to get off but like me I had a passion for, and then I can't understand I know why you know I shouldn't say I can't understand I know exactly why because it was the Spirit of God that was now in me the Spirit of God came into my heart at new birth and he lighted a passion but I still had insecurities that were fighting against the passion fears and doubts but there was something in me that wanted to tell people about Jesus. And I didn't know how. You know, I, I had no idea. You know, how do I express it? I don't want to do this. I don't want, I, and, and sometimes I felt like I was ashamed and back off. I backed off. And, 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 and just, but inside, when I would back off, there was just a, the, I was upset with myself. Because I'm like, how could I be ashamed of Him? And, I, and that's not what I wanted. So there's a passion, but it was not. I wasn't able to bring that forth. And I believe in all of us, there's a passion for Jesus, but God wants us to be passionate. Not just, not just have some... And, and, I, and, and I think, I, I love this. You're going to see this. God has that expectation of you because He lives in you. And it's not like, well, I'm just... In, in, especially nowadays, in what people call Christendom, People think they can define Christianity by their own lifestyle or by their own culture or by their own what's, what's going on right now in the world. I define Christianity as this. This is my Christian walk. And God has already made it. He defined it for you. So we don't have to define it ourselves. I look at it this way. Do you think you have room to grow? And I will tell you this. Examine the apostles. You have room to grow. Because they were not about anything else but about their Savior. These people left things. These people would not deny Him even if it cost them their life. You know, you read, even now we read about people that are giving their life, where it's costing them their life to serve Jesus, even in our days. And we're like, that's, we're just, we're not even aware of those things sometimes. Because we're so caught up with how we live. This is our life. This is how we live. This is how Americans live. And we're so caught up in not understanding, God, am I really pleasing to you? Or, because I come to church. I come to Church of Living Water all the time. I've been here for 30 years, close to 30 years. You know, I know certain things. I can come in here and I know how things go. I know our routine. I know how, our, how we work things. I know it's different. But see, God is like, but are you still passionate for me? Do you still have the same passion when you came? And you know, and I want to say this. This is for me and for everybody. Because God is like, through this time, is like, He'll rebuke me and rebuke me. But what about this? 
and what about this attitude and what and how why aren't you here and what and different things so God is not just dealing with you he deals with me the same way I'm like God I don't want to be that way that's not what I want I don't care you know think about it you have other desires because you're in the flesh you want to have desires but can you say that I don't want this desire to be greater than my love for my God I cannot have this desire and, that, and that's me I don't want these des- I don't want my desires to be greater than my God and you'll see if your desire is greater than your God if you choose your desire over your God when you choose it on a continual basis not that you miss the mark but you choose it on a continual basis you don't know how to walk away from things and that's, that's the sign is like I have lost my passion for Jesus but God you'll see it God is going to define it you're either here or you are there there is no middle ground there, there really is no middle ground with God and you'll see it he's like no I, wa- I would that you be this and not this either this or that but you're not going to be this. See, God is, that's what I'm trying to do. God is not about, I don't know about you, but God is not about leaving you in a comfortable state. He's not, for me, he, he never, He's never left me in a comfortable state. Sometimes there's, very, there's a lot of discomfort, a lot of frustrations, a lot of things that I don't understand. But, but God is like, but that's why I'm here. So that you can come to me and I can show you. But see, the thing is, we have a different type of love for the world. We have a love for the world and that thing is competing constantly with your God. Constantly. Especially when you allow it to compete with your God. And it's like, and, and God is like, but that's, and the thing is, God is still dealing with us. He's not just kicking us to the curb. He is dealing with your heart because He wants you at a place. Not just, you got to understand, this goes beyond just your benefit. And that's what we all have to understand. It goes beyond our benefit. Not just that, you know, it's just going to benefit me. It goes beyond that benefit. So I'm going to go, I'm going to tell you the, uh, the, that, that goal of the teaching is to bring us to a deeper reverence and passion for the things of God in your homes and in your local church. And I stated for that reason and that passion, because I'm going to tell you, your authority, submission to authority is, is taught first in the home. It really is. The greatest part of submission to authority is going to come from your home. It's going to come. That's why the children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. He goes, because I'm going to bless you with long life. You're going to, that's the only commandment there is with a promise. Because he said, I have things for you, but I need you to learn authority. See, and I'm going to tell you, even if we could teach authority on a continual basis, but you can go home and that could be all messed up for you. Because you have to, that has to be not only taught, but solidified. That has to be brought up and continually taught to your child. This is authority. I believe with all my heart that if a child learns one thing in life, if they learn how to submit and learn authority, there is nothing that's going to stop that child. Because everywhere they go, they're going to know how. It's like, I guarantee, in our past, you know, and we've heard this through this ministry on a continual basis. Everywhere you go in life, you are going to find authority. It's not a place, there's nobody here that's not under authority. Your pastor is under authority. Everywhere she goes, she'll find authority. She can't go somewhere. I'm a pastor of Church of the Living Water. And so, you know, so she's, there's authority that she has to deal with on a, can do, every one of us. So you're not going to get around authority. The only person that wants to get around authority is a person that's not born again. Because they still have the seed of Satan. 
That's where, that's why they call them children of disobedience. Because that's who you are. But you're not those people. So we're going to come to the objectives. And I said to understand what authority commands all believers in the local church. And I'm going to run through these. To examine different types of authority, violations of authority, who and what the violators are coming against, and what is at the very heart of authority violations. We want to look at the rewards of being under authority and the consequences of being out from under authority. And lastly, how to repent. And so we really want to deal with, and we're going to touch on the other things, but we're going to come to the repentance part. We want to see where we've come to, this place we've come to in worship. Because remember I made mention even on Sunday, authority wants to bring you to worship. All good authority, all authority ordained by God is not bringing bringing you to themselves. They're bringing you to a place of worship. A place where you're pleasing to your God and you are effective to those around you. Impactful to the people around you. So, Hebrews, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. And I'll try to stay with my notes from here for a little bit. Matthew chapter 28. And starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, all exousia, the might, the right to rule has been given unto me in heaven and earth. That's no different than what Hebrews chapter 12, 12 uh, chapter 1 and 1 says. It says, God is speaking to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the world. He's declaring him to be God. He said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. And he says, Go ye therefore. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Acts chapter 1. I I hope that you're already there. Verse 1, it says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Into the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. He was seen of them for forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power dunamis, the ability, the might to get it done. He shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And I made mention, to me, this is authority coming on the scene. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm talking about after his resurrection, after Jesus rose, because he was already on the scene when he came into this earth and was born of the Virgin Mary. But when he was raised from the dead, he made statements that he hadn't made before. He said, all authority now has been given unto me in heaven and earth. I am the heir of all things. He said, and I have the right to rule, and I am going to give you, and I have, and, and, and the thing about it, after he said that, he gave him a command. 
that command was go ye therefore and make disciples teach all nations they making disciples of all men teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you all these things and then in, in the same 40 days I made mention he comes to the disciples and says but go and wait for the promise of the father but you, because you shall receive power dunamis the ability to get it done what I have commanded and I made mention this to you if these commands are the first thing that Jesus said I came I brought you back to this all authority violations in the church and I want to read what I what I wrote down so I won't misquote it I want you I wanted you to bring you to this understanding in this route and I keep on doing it because I want you to understand all authority when I wanted you to bring this in so that you can see that all violations of authority all violations of authority having to do with the church and its purpose will fall under disobedience and rebellion to what authority has commanded so a lot of times, I, why did I do that? The reason I did that, because a lot of times when we speak of authority, like you've got to submit to authority, we always think of a person. Immediately you'll think of your pastor. You'll think one of the ministers. You'll think of the, uh, those that are over the choir and the praise team. You'll think of over those over the teacher. I have to submit to authority. I have to submit to authority. And then when something doesn't get done, you think that you actually violated them. That you've come against them. And the thing is, I wanted you to bring to this knowledge that all authority violation has to come against the command of God. Because the authority violations, and I put it this way, so violations of authority will be coming against the process, whether directly or indirectly, of the discipleship process. Coming against, directly or indirectly. It's so interesting that you can come, see, not many of us come against authority directly. A lot of times we do it indirectly. Like, for example, I may not directly go to Georgetown, but I may indirectly go to Georgetown. As I, may, I may take a route going a different way and not directly there. But I still get to the same destination, authority violation. It's still the same thing. I may indirectly do it and think it's hidden, but God says, no, I know that. That's why I wanted to deal with the attitudes, not necessarily the, the violations, because you may not necessarily, like I say, you may not necessarily say, when somebody says, we don't forget corporate prayer on Saturday, you may not necessarily say, I'm not going. Or you may not necessarily say, or say, well, you know, I don't have to be there. And you may say, well, you know, in your mind, and I told you this, you may, you may actually turn it on and say, I'm there, but you're not there at all. It's on, you can hear the voice, but you're not there at all. So that's an indirect violation of authority, because no one saw you but you still violated authority. You went about it a, a different route. And you may think, well, all is hidden. And I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You know, and I, I'm good because nobody knows. Nobody knows that I see the notifications coming through my phone of all the questions and the answers that people are asking in my group. Nobody knows that. Only God knows those things. And, you know, they're, they're, I'm good. You know, they don't know that, you know, if I'm busy or not. And everybody's busy. Every single one of us, I guarantee you, have busyness in their life. But some people go above and beyond. And why? I still believe because they have certain passion that you don't. You, uh, there's certain there that you do not have. In it, and there's something missing in our lives when we're like that, when we have those attitudes. So I wanted you to come. And I, I want you to understand why. another reason why is because you know that the body of Christ, the church, is built by the gospel message. So when we have these attitudes, we are coming against the discipleship process in our own lives, not understanding that we just hindered 
a generation to come. Not just me. Like, for example, I, and I always go back and I start thinking about why my life is interesting because, of course, you're born in 1970 and I, and, I, and I look at different things that I actually, it seems like all of my cousins and people that I hung with were from a different generation. They were from an, a, a, a younger generation than I, I still I was a part of an older generation, but I was given birth, they gave, uh, gave birth to me at an older age, so I was still young, able to hang around with these people, but I was still, still connected so much with the generation prior that I see this younger generation that is not connected to them. And it's so interesting that I never knew my grandfather, per se, because I was five years old when he passed away, or my grandmother. But it's so interesting that my mom has told me so much about them, so much about them, it's like I know him. And it's, he's like he's a part of my life. The gospel part of him, because the gospel was birthed in our family, it was birthed in his life. He came to know the Lord through him. But I see so much of things that she shared with me. And, and I say that because a lot of times we think that there's not a connection from one generation to another. But there must be a connection. There must be a connection. And I mean a godly connection. You have to make sure that your seed understands who their God is. That your seed understands, not only understands it, but knows what is improper worship. Because, once again, the world is going to define worship to them. Up to this day, our, 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 our country wants to define worship for us. They want to tell us what worship and what is proper and what is improper. And what is right to according to our times and what is not right. And God is like, no, that's been defined for you. Now it's time to stand. So, once again, all authority violations will have to do with coming against the discipleship process. So I want you to go to I want you to go to numbers. I think we're going to start towards the new information. Numbers. We've talked about this. It's still not new, but this is where I want to start. Go to the book of Numbers, chapter sixteen. And we're going to talk about Korah still. But I want to, and I made mention a few things of Korah last week, and I really want to just go over them again. And just share a few more things that I saw in Korah. The book of Numbers chapter 16. And we'll start at verse 1. Now Korah. Are you there? 16 to verse 1. Book of Numbers chapter 16 verse 1. It says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Pileth, sons of Reuben, took men. And I, and I want to stop there because I made mention. It's interesting how God wants to tell us who this person is and where he came from. And I think it plays a big part of, of one of the things that I told you about an attitude. One of the attitudes we have that's the violation of authority is that we think we're entitled to ministry. Because of where we come from. Who were, like, for example, I made mention because my pastor, our founding pastor, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of our founding pastor, or, or, or I'm, I'm under my pastor, my current pastor now. I'm entitled because I was already under there, so I should expect. Do you understand? I have an expectation that I am going to be able to lead always in this ministry. That's my expectation. And that is wrong. That is wrong. Because I should not have... See, the thing is, 
and, and a lot of next gen they, some, they could, that could be a problem for some people because they think they're entitled because my, 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 my father's a minister or my, my mother's a pastor you know, or, you know I just, and I, hey, I live comfortably I'm okay, I'm good and you're not realizing that you know what, there's some work to be done and if you don't put forth the work you are going to be looked over always remember, Korah was not entitled to, to rule there's no entitlement to rule or to be in leadership. He was privileged to come into service. Korah had a there was something there. Korah came from a family privileged to serve the Lord, privileged, and that's what you need. That, see, that's where we where where we at times miss it, especially next year. You think that you're entitled, and you forget about the privilege. You forget, and, 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 and you remember, y'all had a meeting too long, not too long ago. Don't think that this is something new. I didn't even see those notes. But y'all had a meeting that says, you must consider being a panelist as a privilege and not an entitlement. It's not an entitlement. And you think it's an entitlement when you think you can do any way, thing you want to do and not follow the guidelines of what it means to be a panelist. Because just like, for example, myself, Minister Martin, Minister Hastings, Minister Stinson, Minister Castillo, Minister Eberhardt, any other minister, the, the deacons that minister, any one of us that minister, they're given an assignment and they expect, they're expected to spend time with that assignment. They're expected. So why should that expectation, when you're given an assignment, that that same expectation is not there for you? Or do you wait to the very, very, very end to go over your stuff or to look into your stuff and then expect something great to come out of you. But because of who you are, you think people should listen to you. And that's not the way it goes. Not, not in this ministry. It's never happened that way. Think about it. We are, I told you, we, see, Korah was brought close. And you're going to see, he was brought close. He was in the presence of God but didn't realize whose presence he was in. And see, that's sometimes with us, we forget about where we've, come, where, where we've come to, myself and everybody included. We forget that who brought us here. And I'm not talking about location, I'm talking about in your relationship with God. Where He brought you from and where, how He brought you out. And, and sometimes I even wonder, have you had that born again experience of who brought, how He brought you out? Because there should be a bringing out. And you, something that you were brought out of. And you know. You know that you know. In your heart. Not that you know because you have an understanding of exactly what's going on. Some of it you don't quite understand. But you will come to the understanding. From I told you in the past. From darkness to light. It's, it's going to happen. From darkness to light always happens. Always. There's an enlightenment that you didn't have before. And if you didn't have that enlightenment. You'd ask. Have I really come to know this Jesus? And it doesn't mean, you know, because to tell you the truth, that's a good place to be. Because me and my life, even as a believer, have I ever questioned my salvation? Absolutely. I've asked myself, are you really born again in my, throughout my life? Have you accepted the Lord? Have you, I've even come to the point where I've accepted, you know, I to make sure I've accepted Christ Jesus. This is, I want to make sure that I understand who I've accepted. What have I come to the understanding of? So, Numbers chapter 16 still. And they rose up. And once again, now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pileth, sons of Reuben, took men. 
And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princesses of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. They gathered themselves against Moses and Aaron. It's interesting. And said to them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah, and unto all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy. And will cause him to come near to him, even him whom he hath chosen, he, will he cause to come near unto him. This do, speaking to Korah, take ye censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. So it's so interesting how he mentions you. I'm going to remind you where you come from and who brought you out. Who, where you come from. You're a son of Levi. And he says, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also. I like that. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? And I told you this. Korah, and I made mention that Korah comes from Levi, which is his great-great-great-grandfather, I believe, because Levi had Kohath. And Kohath had Amran, Izhar, uh, Hebron and Uziel. And, I'm sorry, and Korah comes from Eshar. And it's interesting how within this family, there is leaders in this family. There's rulers in this family. But Korah was not a leader or a ruler. Not, not in that sense. He actually was someone privileged to handle things that other people were not able to handle. And I mean by this, Abraham, not Abraham, but Moses and Aaron were from Amram. And they led God's people out of Israel. And there was a lot of, of uh, how can I say, attention put on Abraham. And, oh no, sorry, I keep on saying Abraham. Put on Moses and put on uh, Aaron. A lot of attention. The way Aaron was dressed. The way Aaron was, was looked upon. Way, the, the, everything, a lot of attention was placed upon Moses and upon Aaron. And then there was another one that came from the fourth son, Uziel, and, and Elizaphan. And he was, became ruler over all these families. And I think there was 8,600 males within this family. But not Korah. Korah, once again, to me, Korah had this entitlement. Because if you read number 16, he says... Why do you put yourself above the congregation of the Lord? We're all holy. And he said, and, and, and what did he say? What is Aaron? He said, you're seeking the priesthood. You're seeking that what you think is glorious and what you think is honorable and you've missed that you've been brought near to serve. See, and a lot of times we have that entitlement that we, like once again, and, and I look at my life 
I thank the Lord that the, the call of God was there at the beginning. I didn't understand it. Sometimes I would run from certain things or, or, or fearful of certain things. But the call of God, the passion of God's call was there. And it's not something like, for example, I, never, I try not to be a person that always wants to put myself at the forefront. Always wants to push myself to do... I try not to do that because my thing is... God, God, the Bible says when a man's, when, when man has a legitimate gift, it's going to make room for him. You don't have to do really anything but... What is it? Privilege to serve. Privilege to serve. Every individual that you see in leadership... Any great person in the body of Christ, and I mean great as what we say is great, someone that has led God's people, someone that has taught God's people, someone that expounds on the Word, that has revelation and understanding, I guarantee you that they served well. They served well. They didn't look for that. They're not looking for that position. God calls them out. And He puts them in a position. So Korah was this person, but you've got to understand... Why am I tell you that God has brought us close? Korah, and I want you to go to Numbers chapter 3 just to, just to uh, back up what I'm saying. Numbers chapter 3. Look at the family of Kohath, which Eshar comes from, which Korah comes from. Numbers chapter 3. Hopefully I got that chapter right. I believe I did. Verse 27. And of Kohath was the family of the Amramites, and the family of the Ezharites, and the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These are the family of the Kohathites. Now, just saying his sons, all of these families comes from Kohath. In the number of all the males from, the month, from a month old and upward were 8,600 keeping the charge of the sanctuary. This family was privileged, brought near to the presence of God. They were privileged and brought near. The families of the sons of Kohath shall pitch on the side of the tabernacle southward. And the chief of the house of the father of the families of Kohathites shall be Elisaphan, the son of Uziel. And their charge shall be the ark, and the table, and the candlestick, and the altars, and the vessels of the sanctuary, wherewith they were they were the minister and the hangings and all the service thereof. Look at this. These people, this family, were brought into a place of the holy place. They were brought into a holy, and, and only only uh, the high priest went into the holy of holies. But Korah and his his family, they were able to go into the place where everything was made of gold. And, I, and I'm significant. You have, the, you have the candlestick made of gold. And I love it. Think about just The reason I want to touch on it is because the candlestick was in the presence, in the holy place, with the, the golden table, the showbread, the table of showbread, and the, and, the, uh, and the altar of incense. And they were all made of gold. And this candlestick, it says, the only light in the holy place came from the candlestick. There was no other light. It showed. It, it was. It, you could see the, the the showbread and the altar by this light. There was no other light in this place. They came to a place where it was only God's understanding. It was only God's illumination. It was only God in this place. Only the presence of God. Everything about it was about God. It wasn't about them at all. It wasn't about a man. 
Everything about it, even the, I, li- I like it, it says that the showbread, and it says it was 12 loaves of bread that had to be placed on this, ar- on this golden table, and it said it had to be placed there by the priest, and it had to be observed. It was, ob- it was placed in the presence of God to be observed by God. I like how it says it, because he watches us over his word to perform it. It's his word. You know, the, ca- the candlestick, that ca- golden candlestick, where it talks about, it, it talks about the beauty of it. And how it, 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 it the, I think it's called the, uh, I forgot the, the flower that's actually in it. But it, it's a, it talks about life and it talks about, because it was blooming. It was something that was created to show forth that it was alive, it was, had life, and it had life. And I thought about it, I thought about the scripture in John chapter 1. In him was life, and his life was the light of man. Everything about that place spoke about who Jesus was. Who Jesus, He is the bread of life. He is the one that sustains us and keeps us. And Korah was brought to that place. That place where he said, you know, I want that over there. Not understanding that he was privileged to serve in God's presence. And see, that's what I'm trying to tell you. That we as people, we have to understand that we must be privileged to understand. We are privileged to serve. That's where we come to. We've come to a place where we're privileged to serve. So when we want other things outside and we're not going after that, which is God. God has an issue. Now we're coming against... See, and Armand told you, all authority... See, think about it. All of the violations of authority are coming against the discipleship process because it's coming against what God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has ordained. That's the same thing Korah was doing in that presence. Coming against the authority. That which God had already ordained. He ordained that. He ordained it. He said that this is what I have called you to. But Korah had the wrong heart. He had the wrong heart attitude. Now I bring you to Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. In the book of, chapter, in the book of John chapter 12, I believe. I'm going to read that. I don't want to go there. I'm just probably going to give it to you. John chapter 12. Just write down Luke chapter 11 and John chapter 12. Luke 11, 38 through 42 and John chapter 12, 1 through 8. And I told you the other attitude is this. What else do you want? What else do you want? I'm involved. And involved is not enough when you've understood where you've been privileged to do. See, involved is, for us, involved is not enough. How are you involved? What kind of effort are you putting into it? And when somebody tells you something, it's like, what? You know, what else do you want? You know, I'm a, I'm a panelist. I, I'm a minister. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an usher. I'm a greeter. I, you know, I'm, I'm in the praise team. I'm in the choir. I lead worship. You know, I'm all these things. What else are they wanting? Remember, authority wants to bring you to a place of worship. It wants you to bring you to a place where now I understand, I see what the candlesticks represent. What I see what it's allowing me to see. I understand. I have enlightenment. Remember one of the benefits of being under authority? There's authority is enlightenment. There's clarity of vision. There's an, an understanding. But remember also, authority makes you impactful. It impacts your life to impact others. So let's go back to this. And this is where I want to get to. Let's get to Revelations chapter 3. In the last 20 minutes. Revelations chapter 3. So all of these things. Think about it. Gold represents. Wealth. Gold represents abundance. 
Gold represents the gold itself represents kingship, I believe it said. That's royalty. It represents gold is is it's in basic one set even the world. I started looking into this crazy stuff about how, you know, the, those that believe in, of course, the, the, your, your, your sign and these different things. They, they talk about the spiritual meaning of gold. And one thing he says, one thing you'll always find with gold, uh, that it always, that the cards will always read that it, it, it means abundance. Gold means abundance. And it's so interesting, and I made mention, Revelation chapter 3, and we'll read it. So what is the cure for these attitudes, and how do I repent? And I made a statement. The problem with so many people in our churches today is that they still want to play a big part of the world system and have a part of their lives that belong to God. They come to church and are involved in aspects of ministry but are not fully committed to God and His purpose. They would rather live in comfort and don't enjoy being out and they don't enjoy being pushed outside of their comfort zone. And I think that's where a lot of us can be at times that we're comfortable. And, and one thing was shown is the pandemic. We became very comfortable with what we were doing. I became very comfortable. You know, even up to this day, certain things it's like, I don't need to go do that no more. Because I'm here. You know, I've learned to be content being at home. I really learned to be content. People was like, well, you don't do anything? No, I'm, I'm content. But you know, that comfortable place can be very dangerous for, a, for and it's become dangerous for a lot of people because it's like you know you don't want to get out of that but Revelations chapter 3 and I'm going to start talking and I'm going to read Revelations chapter 3 when you're there say amen we're going to start at verse 14 I am not there yet Revelations chapter 3 not First John Revelations 3 Starting at verse 14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame and thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye slave, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent." And, and I remember I told you, with God, there's no middle ground. You're either passionately hot for Him, or you're downright free, frozen cold for Him. He doesn't actually look at the middle ground. And I'll tell you why. This word hot, and, and, and I want to read something before I read it. The Lord always speaks from a place of authority, and that's what He started doing here. And He knows our works. This word works, you can find assigned task. He knows your assigned task. We all have assigned tasks. You know that. Every one of us has assigned. He knows them. He says, he was not referring to outward workings. He really wasn't necessarily referring. Because remember, he said, he didn't say, I see your works. 
He said, I know your works. I don't see them. I know them. I know what they're all about. He said, for only mere men, I say this, for only mere men know those things when they see. Only we see them. But we really don't know your works. We can only see your works. No, he's referring to knowing the quality of your work. And that's what, it's, what your work is all about. It is interesting to note that the Lord immediately after speaking, he was very acquainted with your works. He talked about their works and then he dresses the person. Because you're separated from your works in that fashion. And I'm going to tell you, he says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. He didn't say your works were cold or hot because your, whole, your works are just mutual. They're just works. The same works of a righteous person can be seen in an unrighteous person, but God knows the works. Does that make sense to you? He said, I know your works. He said, but I'm going to address you. You're neither cold nor hot. This word hot, it actually talks about fervent hot, boiling hot. He said, so when you look at this word hot, cold has to mean freezing cold. He said, I would rather you be cold or hot. He said, I would rather you be passionate or not serving me at all. Because there is no middle ground with Jesus. He said, I want you to be passionate. Your passion. And, 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 and you may say, I'll, 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 I will confirm that. I will even validate it even more. He continues to tell them the same thing. And we're going to read that. Let me go here and let me get to my notes before I go too, too far. Let's, let's address this first. Laodicea. And I, I mentioned this in Sunday. Laodicea was a wealthy region. It was a wealthy region. And Laodicea actually experienced an earthquake in 62 AD. They, and it destroyed it. And then it was rebuilt by their own citizens, by their own wealth, without the help of anyone, without the help of the state, without any kind of help from anywhere. They built it because they were a wealthy people. They were, and it had to do with their wool. The wool that was in that place, it caused a lot of wealth for them. So this, this, this lukewarm attitude was probably called because they were self-satisfied, self-sufficient people. And it, caused, it may have caused this lukewarmness like, you know, I'm self-satisfied. I'm content. I'm alright. I'm good. I have my job. I have my wife. I have my vehicles. I have my girlfriend. Why should I push anymore? I'm in a good church. I am in a good church and I have all these things. Why should I be pushed? Why should I be discomforted when I'm satisfied with where I'm at? See, satisfaction with where you're at is a dangerous place. In the Christian, as a Christian, being satisfied with where you're at is dangerous. Because God is not dealing, not pushing you forward to do anything. Because it's like, no, I'm good. And you've got to be very careful when you're not being pushed anymore. When you're satisfied, when I'm content, I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. I don't need any help from outside. I don't need to come, as our pastor talks, talks about on Sunday morning, when you've done everything you think that you need to do to stand, and you've gone to the Word, and you've done this. You may need some outside help. It's like, no, I don't need that. I'm good. You know, and, and you're not realizing, and, and this is for me. This is for everybody in this congregation. It's that God is like, no, I've called you to actually have passion in your life. He even goes on in Revelation, I know thy words that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. And I like it. 
The word I hear, I counsel thee, so I'm going to tell you, I want to validate it. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. It says, be on fire. He's telling him, be on fire, make fiery hot. He said, this is your responsibility. And then he goes on to tell him, you need to be zealous, be fervent, and repent. He goes on and tells him, I'm telling you that you have to be a passionate people for the things of God. We are, we are people, think about it, and I want you to write down, we're not going to get it to it, but First Chronicles 21. I like that statement, and, I, and, I, and I'm like, and I really want God to, to give me more understanding of what He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. Buy of me gold. And I remember I told you that gold speaks of abundance, gold speaks of wealth, but gold has a worldly, uh, uh, how can I say, the world can divine gold also. But God defines it differently. Remember the gold that was in His presence? And how Korah did not focus on where he was at and where he came from and where he was brought to? Many of God's people do the same thing, but they're so aware of what the world can offer them. They would rather have what the world... And I like He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. He didn't just say, buy, buy gold tried in the fire. He said, buy that which I have. So... The, the, the connotation to me it says this is going to cost you but this is about what I'm giving you this is not what the world has to offer you because the world has something to offer you but I'm like buy of me gold tried in the fire it gives us the understanding that you are in the fire you're not just being warmed by the fire he says you're buy, buy of me gold tried in the fire so that means how bad do you want me how bad do you want God? How bad do you... And that's and once again, this is speaking to me. How bad do I want God? What am I willing to do to obtain that which God... Not to obtain a position. Not to gain, gain favor with some man and some woman. I'm talking about what, what am I willing to do to say, God, this is yours. My life is yours. Not just in word, not just in song, but my life is yours. I understand that I desire that and I want that and I like that thing of the flesh. I love it. I enjoy it. I want it. But Lord, I don't want that. I don't want to want that above you. That's not what I want. I want to be passionate for you. I want to desire you. I don't, I don't want to be like, like, for example, you notice that sometimes we're just different people from other people. You, even in your own family, you've noticed that you are a different person. You're not the same person. People look at you and like, you are weird. You are strange. Your, your, your commitments are strange. Your desires are strange. Your, the way you go about things. They, and, and then you ask yourself, you know, sometimes you even felt rejected by your family or set aside by your family or not necessarily. But God chose you to bring you near to Him for a purpose. And then He says, but don't despise where I've brought you to. Don't become comfortable with where I brought you to. Always be aware of where I brought you to. So we get down to what I told you, First Chronicles chapter 21, that's David. King David. And, I, and, and I'll just paraphrase it. King David came to a place where he came against authority because he wanted to number Israel. Because he thought his strength, once again, he thought his strength is with, with, with him and what he had and his possessions and what he could do. And he wanted to see how strong they were. And the Bible said, and I love that because I love David's heart in this. And I told you that under authority, there is correction. David was still under authority. 
He was still under the even when he disobeyed. Gotta understand, just because you have disobeyed, just because you have missed the mark, doesn't mean you're outside of authority. Because authority is your father. He's like, Yeah, I know. And I'm gonna correct you. I'm gonna instruct you. The problem is when you're not under authority, it's like I refuse that. I don't want that. I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to start doing things. Even if I get corrected, that should not stop. That's what I don't understand about people. You can see them that they've lost something. They've been disappointed with certain things in their life. They didn't get a relationship that they wanted. They didn't actually obtain a job that they wanted. They didn't get the education that they wanted. And they they think they blame God because they sit there and worship and just look. And don't know how to lift their hands even when they're hurting. Even when they're hurting. Have you ever been so hurt that you just lift up your hands anyway and just worship God? Because God didn't change. You changed and did something wrong. But God has said, I haven't changed. I am your God. I'm the God that's going to bring you out. You just have to worship. But you sit there and that makes me wonder, have you been touched by God? Or are you just in the facility of people that have, like Korah? You, you were in a facility that, that he was around the right people. But he didn't have the right heart. So we come to David again in First in First Chronicles chapter twenty-one, and I love the fact the things that he says when when the, when the prophet came to him after he did what he did because he knew he sinned and there was something going on in the land that he did not like happening to his people happening to him and he said that the prophet came to him and said David choose two three things choose these three things God wants to know what you are gonna what you would what you want your punishment to be. And he told him three things. And at the very end, David said this, I just want to fall in the hands of the Lord. Because in the hands of the Lord, there is mercy. And I don't care who your authority is, you have to have that heart. That I just want to fall into your hands. Regardless of the the correction, regardless, regardless of the instruction, regardless of how bad or how you may feel, Lord, I want to be in your hands. Because in your hands, I'm going to obtain mercy. I'm going to be able to stand. I'm going to, I, and I love this one song. It says, In your presence is where I'm going to stand. In His presence, that's where you find strength to stand. To carry on. And that's, once again, Korah didn't realize where he was at. And that's what we have to understand. We have to realize where we have come to. And then you come right back to David. After he says, I just want to fall in the hands of the Lord. And then there was a punishment placed upon his life, upon his people, because of what he did. And then at the very end, they were just humbled themselves. They were praying and seeking the Lord. And God told the angel to stop. And you read it. I want you to read it, because I won't be able to go through it all. Told the angel to stop. And he stopped at a certain place. He stopped at this place. And God told David, I want you to do something. I want you to go there and sacrifice. And he went there, and I believe this place was Ornan was his name. He went to Ornan, and it was his land. It was his place where this angel had stopped. And I want you to, because I want you to set up an altar there, and I want you to sacrifice to me. And he came there, and he told him, Brother, I want to I purchase this. I want, I want, I want this, because I want to sacrifice. Because Ornan knew what was going on. He saw the, the, the trouble that they were in. And the Bible says that he said, No, no, you take it. Everything you need. I want to provide this. I'm going to provide this. I'll even provide the things for the sacrifice. And David made the most powerful statement. He said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I won't give to God that which costs me. I have to pay it full price. 
Think about it. He was the king. He could have gotten anything, but David's heart was like, I have to give that God which costs me. Buy of me gold. Tried in the fire. He's, God is like, no, if you want passion, you got to come to me. Remember, there is no, in God's eyes, there is no middle ground. He said, I would that that were cold or hot. He said, but because you're neither cold, he keeps on saying, because you're neither cold nor hot, he said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He goes, because that's the, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And once again, this is for me and this is for everybody else. We have to be those that know, say, where is our passion for Jesus? Where is our passion for the things of God? You know, and, and, and have I seen myself back off of certain things? In my life, and I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about that we're not continuing to, to see each other's faces and that we're not continuing to fellowship, but have you lost your pursuit, your personal pursuit of your God? And that's where repentance, because remember, I'm going to bring you right back to this place. This message was not for you to, minister, to submit to your pastor or to you to submit to your to your, one of the ministers or to submit to your, your, uh, your, those in leadership over your life. It was to bring you to the place that when you come against those things, you have come against the discipleship process. You have come against God Himself. Because remember, and once again, even those that are in authority over you, don't be afraid. That's what I mean by that. Don't be, the Bible says that they're, they're called to watch for your souls because they have to give an account. They have to give an account. You know, so you may think, is my pastor for me? Or is my pastor against me? What you have to concern yourself is, is your God for you? Is your God for you? That's what you have to concern yourself. Because, tell you the truth, men can be for you and men can be against you. Saul was after David for years and he was a man of authority. For years he was after David, and he was not the. And David never violated authority, even when he touched the 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 robe of Saul when he had an opportunity to slay Saul. The Bible says that his heart was pricked. He said, "How can I come?" To the very end, he would always say, "How can I touch the Lord's anointing?" Think about how passionate he was for someone that was evil, and he didn't even have the spirit of God. And he said, I can't touch someone that's even been anointing. So you should be very careful with what you say about those in leadership. You may not, and what I heard you say, did I say you were always going to agree with someone in leadership? I said, you better be very careful how you think about them and what you say about them. To you, and, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about the things that you pray to God about and ask God to strengthen you. I'm talking about the things that you try to cause. Because that's exactly what Korah did. He said, no, no. He said, and, and I told you this. All those men that Korah, majority of those men that Korah mentions in, in, in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, all of them had issues. All of them had been rejected. from Some, some of them had already been rejected from leadership. Were not able. Reuben was a person rejected. He was the firstborn, but he was rejected. You know, and think about it. People that are rejected and feel... Let's take it a little further. People that feel rejected. Because remember, our pastors talked about you, the, those things that you even perceive. You know, that, that, that you, you, then they might not be that at all. But the thing is, God got to entertain you. 
He will entertain you. Because if you feel perceived that you've been hurt or you've been wrong, He'll address you. But you can't come against people because you've been, you perceive certain things. You have to be careful. All of this comes back to this. We only find repentance in our passion and God's presence. We're not going to find it. You're not going to find it being busy and Mary and Martha figured that out. Well, I actually say this. Martha didn't figure it out. Because if you see her in, in one of those two passages of scriptures in Luke and in Matthew, you find her serving. And then in the other passage, you find her serving again. But Mary, you find something totally different. You find her at his feet in one passage of the, of the scripture. But then you find a progression of worship where she's actually sacrificing her very best. Does that make sense to you? So, Mary had a passion. But Martha was busy. Martha was busy with the right things. But she didn't have the passion that she needed to have to be in his presence. So, once again, remember I told you at the beginning... They were all brought to the presence of God. Martha and Mary were in the very presence of God. And they chose to worship differently. Or they chose. And Jesus made a statement. I'm out of time. He said, Martha, Martha, you're so cumbered about with many things. He said, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen the better part. And that shall not be taken away from her. So interesting. That positions can be taken away from us. But that can never be taken away from us. And I'm talking about your presence, the presence of God. can never be taken because you've been brought there. You are there now. In the very presence of God, you are there positionally. Positionally, you're there. God has brought you there. You've been brought out of light, into those, into, out, of, out of darkness, into His glorious light. You are there. So what are we going to do? Remember, and I'll leave you with this. Cora chose wrong. Martha chose wrong. Mary chose right. How are you going to choose? How are, we going, how are we going to choose to live? And that's something that we just have to have in our minds, my brothers and sisters, is how are we going to serve God? How are you going to serve God? Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.